Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Good morning, Riverwood family. It's so good to be with you to examine God's word um, together. And the human brain is amazing. I was reading an article this past week about uh, a term called thin slicing. Thin slicing. And what this is, it's a psychological term that basically says that the human brain makes very rapid decisions on very little data. That's what thin slicing is all about. And so how little data are we talking about? Well, in this article, it was saying this, that when we meet somebody within three seconds, we have made 10 determinations about them. Our brains have just rapidly made all of these things by what we are witnessing and what we are seeing in that moment. We are determining how successful somebody is. In that moment, we're making assumptions about how smart they are. We're making uh, some determinations about how threatening they might be, how trustworthy, all of the, I mean, on and on. In three seconds, our brains are rapidly coming to these conclusions. And so I thought here for a moment we would practice. I'm going to show you an image, and we're going to allow ourselves to make some three-second determinations. You ready? Let's go for the picture. Three, two, one. Okay, we all made some thin slices there. Is that someone who is trustworthy? Yes, my Steeler fan in the back. Yes, yes. Somebody was like, yes, looks great to me. But can you imagine all of the things of thin slicing, the the clothes we wear, uh, the jewelry we wear, the cars we drive, um, even our skin color down to the way we even walk. All of these things we watch in people and we make determinations about who they are. Now, some of this is very innate and natural. God has created human beings to be people who can perceive danger, and some of this is natural and good. But I will tell you, there comes a moment when it crosses over innateness to something of evil. When we cross over in our hearts to then start making determinations and judgments about people, and we start showing partiality to some, and to some we don't. We start to include our favorites and to exclude others. And that's exactly the conversation that we want to have this morning. James is going to call this whole topic this thing of partiality. Partiality is this idea of when we do show favoritism um, to others. And in the first century church, this was becoming an issue, a problem. And 2,000 years later, it still is. It still is something that we wrestle with and need to have honest conversation about. And so my prayer is that we would allow God's word in these next 28 minutes and 34 seconds. There's a clock in the back, yes, and everyone has seen that. We allow God's word to penetrate into our lives and to see what he has to say to us. So I hope you have your Bible with you. We want to be guided by God's word. Um, if you are following along in our James series and you would like a, a booklet, there's some right there in the back. 
um, or if you have your smart device, however you want to look at God's Word. Uh, it'll also be in the screens in front of us. Um, but we are in the midst, if you are new to our church, a, a welcome to you. We are in the midst of a series going through one of the most widely read New Testament books, uh, the book of James. This is also the, the brother of Jesus Christ. I call him a late bloomer of faith. In the moment of living with his brother, he didn't see it. And there's verses that point to that. But later in life, he is someone who did um, fight hard for the gospel that was centered around his brother. And what I love to say about James is, better late than never. Better late than never. And that might be your story, too. You might, have, you might be here today, and you haven't been in church in a decade. Welcome. We're, I'm glad you're here. Because I want you to hear God's word, and it's never too late. All right, so let's, as James would say, let's hear the things of God's word, let's receive them, and let's be doers of what we noticed this morning. So in the second chapter of James, this is how he begins. He says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. All right, so once again, we find ourselves in a conversation for the church. How do we know that? He's using this term right here of brothers, brothers. And I, let me just park here for a second and say when this is used in the New Testament, it's not, he's not just talking to men. This is a colloquial way to include everybody in the church. My brothers, y'all, kind of, like men, women, children, those who claim Jesus Christ as their Savior, uh, this conversation is for you. But that is the, the uniqueness about it. It is a conversation for the church. He's not talking to the greater public at large. He's talking to those who are very specifically in the confines of this thing of church. And here's what he's now talking about. Those who are now holding the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And James is, is talking about this idea of partiality. Partiality. And you cannot hold both of these things together. Well, what's so wrong about partiality? The actual word of partiality means to receive the face. You're receiving the face. This is the, the first century way of talking about thin slicing. You're receiving the face based on externals only, drawing conclusions about what you see. This is what he's talking about. And as a Christ follower, he's going to make something uh, very uh, plain as we go through the text. He's going to say, you cannot do both of these in the same hand, you cannot hold faith in Christ alone and someone who practices partiality. That's going to come, become obvious. And so this thing of partiality is something that goes beyond something that is natural into an area that is sinful. And that's what we're going to see. There is a moment where this conversation is now going to turn into something where it's innately good to make a decision on danger or make quick decisions to something of the heart that is going wrong. There is something inside of all of humanity where we are drawn to cross over into something that is sinful in the conversation of partiality, of how we will exclude and include. What did that look like in the first century? James tells us in the next verse. Notice how he continues in verse 2. He says, let me tell you a poor example. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, 
and then a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. James says, two men walk into your church, one wearing fine clothes. The word fine is actually the word gleaming, radiant, noticeable, like eye-catching. When somebody walks in, you're like, wow, that is a nice suit. That is a nice jacket. Those are nice pants. Whatever it is, it is very eye-catching. But not only that, he is also, as the text says here, he is wearing a gold ring. The actual language says that he's not just wearing one, but he's wearing so many gold rings, it looks as if he has gold fingers. I mean, it is that astounding. Like, wow, look at all that gold. Look at all that, those clothes. My goodness. And then, in contrast, the one who's wearing shabby The word means dirty, smelly, worn out, uh, horrible. So now what happens? All right, these two walk in, the hosts are now looking, and they're like, whoa, Mr. Radiant, Mr. Goldfinger, come, we have a special place for you right here in the front row. Come, sit. Oh, and Mr. Shabby Clothings, uh, how about you just, you stand in the back. Better yet, how about you just kind of sit down? We don't want you to be noticed. James says, what if that is happening? And so in this scenario, in this short story, he says partiality has happened. This innate nature making natural decisions has crossed over into something that is destructive and sinful. Something has happened in here where now we make determinations and assumptions and judgments, and now we have included and we have excluded. Something has happened. At the level of our heart, something is going on. And so what James wants to do in the next number of verses is tell us how does our heart become what I'm calling misshaped. How do, we, how do we fall prey to this, this misshaped heart? There's going to be three things he's going to point us to. And for us to notice these things and to fight against these things is exactly what we need to be hearing this morning. Because we want to be individuals who are fighting partiality. We want to be a church that fights against this with everything that we have. Naturally, we are drawn to partiality and our hearts to be misshaped. How? Well, in verse 4, he continues to give us the first kind of misshaped idea. He continues after telling this story about two men who walk into your assembly, and then he says this in verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In our office wing here at church, recently somebody donated five large boxes of books. 
Now, these are books that this person didn't need any longer, and, uh, and they were all religious in nature. And so they were just in our office wing hallway. And for weeks, I just saw people walking by the boxes, walking by the boxes. And then I was like, I can't have these boxes here anymore. We're getting rid of these boxes. All right. So now it's like the day the boxes are leaving, I noticed more staff people now doing this. They're standing over the boxes and they're doing the proverbial judging a book by its cover. I think I like that one. Maybe that one. I even saw Jeff. He was like, should I, should I even bend over to, to look at that book? I don't know. Making determinations, judgments. That's exactly what's happening here uh, in verse 4. Our hearts become misshaped and are prone to what I am called misshaped judgment. When we look at someone, when we thin-slice people, we then become judge. How do I know this? Because the text tells us this. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges? This word and this word are the same word. You could use the word judgments. Have you not then made judgments among yourselves and become judges? Judge, judge, judge. You now become the judge. And here's the problem. You are now putting your place above God. I am now the one who will make judgments. I, I can now assume that position, that that is what I'm going to do. And you're going to be over there, and you're going to be over there. And it, this is how silly and stupid it is. It's based on what we see. Uh, your zip code, your skin color, the kind of shoes you're wearing. Oh, yeah, I'm well qualified to be making judgments. And you should be over there, and you should be over there. It's stupid. But yet our heart is prone to be misshaped when we start falling prey to partiality. Misshaped judgment. What did, there's somebody else who had lots to say about judge, judging others. Jesus was one of them. And notice what Jesus says about judgment. Judge not that, you not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. And then he goes into this great illustration. Why do you see the speck in your own brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. You hypocrite. See, when we walk down the, the path of being, I am the judge, we're so hypocritical. Our hearts are falling prey to partiality. All right, so misshaped judgment. That's what's happening at the level of heart when we allow that to make its way in. There's a second way as well. In verse 5, James continues. Listen, he says, listen, my beloved brothers, sisters in Christ, listen. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who will love him? He's asking an, an obvious leading question here. Of course, but in the midst of partiality, what gets misshaped in our heart is the gospel. Remember, we talked about this probably three weeks ago, that the gospel really rings true in many times in this thing of paradox. 
The things that are low, God exalts. And the things that are exalted, God brings low. I mean, this is the way of his kingdom over and over and over again. And in this instance, he's saying, do you realize that many times, not always, but many times, he is using those who are materially poor to be spiritually rich. At the same time, he's taking those who are materially rich and it's very difficult for them to be uh, poor. It's, so there's paradox going on. I mean, even the very story that we're going to celebrate in 83 days, who's getting ready for Christmas? 83 shopping days left, everybody. The very story of Christmas is wrapped in paradox. The King of kings, Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega is coming to earth. In a manger. Paradox. Yet, when you allow your heart to be led by a partiality, you lose sight of the paradox of the gospel. And you start then falling prey to thin slicing and judging people and making determinations and judging people by the covers of their lives. And so even the Apostle Paul said in his writings, he would remind people of this idea of the the paradox when he would say this in Corinthians, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. That is the gospel. The things that are foolishness. Someone died on a cross? What? The foolishness of the world are the things that are exalted. All right, so our hearts, again, can be misshaped in the area of understanding the gospel, misshaped when it comes to being the judge. There's a third way as well in verse 6. James says this. He says, but you, you have dishonored the poor man. He's talking about those who then fall prey to partiality. You have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? A number of years ago, this is like three or four years, I had been here at Riverwood, and we did something in the summer called Worship on the Lawn. Anyone remember those, Worship on the Lawn? It's when we took our whole church out into the front yard. We usually somehow chose the, the hottest day of the year. We'd be out there sweating to death, but we would sing praises. Uh, we would do sometimes do baptisms. It was wonderful moments, but we'd also have a number of moments of testimony. And I remember on this one summer day, somebody was like, we have to have this person share. They were someone who was influential, somebody who was well-to-do, but had a great story of how Jesus called him and and everything was celebrated. All right, now six months, fast forward. I then was cornered by this same gentleman here in a room, and he was looking at me on a certain Sunday morning, and he said this. He said, I don't like the way you're treating my kid, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to the powers to be, because I know them, and I'm going to have you removed. I was like, wow. (laughs) I was scared. I was like, there is somebody who has influence and power, well-to-do, and now I am going to fall prey to his influence. And here's the problem. In his idea of wisdom, he was in churches where 
those kinds of things took place. And it happened that way, where those people who were in charge were those who were influential with power and money, and that kind of wisdom reigned the day. The problem is that that kind of wisdom didn't reign the day here at Riverwood at that moment. And so here's the thing that then gets misshaped, this thing of wisdom. Wisdom gets misshaped. I mean, so much so, look at this, what happens? You have, we then become the kinds of people where we dishonor the poor man. I mean, this is how evil it gets, that we then sideline those who are poor, and we don't see them as images made like God, made in the image of God, image bearers. That doesn't matter. How stupid. A lack of wisdom to see people for more than what we can just thin slice about them. And here's another lack of wisdom. Oh, you want to put your eggs in the basket of those who are powerful and wealthy and, and influential. Well, just, just James is saying, beware, beware, because they could do, and he labels three things here that might happen if you do allow them to, to take power. They could oppress you. They could sue you. They could blaspheme These are the ones, not always, but at times, if you lean into that kind of wisdom, they're the ones who are quick to control the situation. They're quick to litigate the situation, and they are quick to do whatever they want about the name of the Lord. Why? Because it's about their own agenda. These are the things our heart is is prone to when we fall into the thing of partiality. So here's the main question this morning. This is why we've gathered. These are a lot of nice things to know, but here's the the question is this. How do you then fight partiality? How? That, That should be the question all of us are wrestling with. We see how we're prone. We see how our hearts become misshaped in so many ways. How do we fight this? How do we become people who are different? How do we become a church that is different? James gives us the answer. This is, this is going to be beautiful. In the next verses, in verse 8, he continues on. We have to hear this. This is what he says. If, if, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. I love these two verses because what is diametrically opposed to partiality? The royal law. The royal law. Why is this so important? Well, it drives all the way back into these, what I call, pillars of the scriptures. You heard one of them in Leviticus. These pillars where God's word makes these distinctions about what is really important. Back in Leviticus, it says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But then this, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Radical concept. All the way back in Leviticus. Now you get to the time of Jesus. And someone comes to him and says, 
can you kind of like summarize the Old Testament for us? Like what is really important, kind of the cliff note versions? What do we need to know? And Jesus says this, which commandment is the most important of all? He answered, the most is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Then he says this, the second, if you really need a second, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment greater than these, these pillars of the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. Now James is wrapping around again to say, this is the antidote to partiality. To love your neighbor as yourself. The answer is this. To take the royal law and to place yourself in it and to ask this kind of question, Cole, 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 how do you want others to treat you? How do I want people to treat me? Do I want to be thin-sliced and treated by the things that people can just see? I see you wear these kinds of clothes. I notice you drive a minivan. Minivan people, right? Yes. I notice, I hear you play golf. I... I I see the color of your skin. I'm making all of these determinations about you. Do I want people to treat me based off of these things? What if I sell my minivan? Or what if I don't play golf anymore? What happens when things change in my life and all you ever care about or treat me with is because of what you know? Or how about even this question? How about the things I can't change? Are you truly going to treat me that certain way based on the things that you see? That's not the royal law. That's partiality. Cole, how do you want to be treated? Treat others that way. And see what the royal law does goes to a deeper place because I want people to know this about me, to care about my heart and who I really am, not just the things on the outside. And so the royal law is the way that we can fight partiality. When our hearts want to be drawn to be misshaped by partiality, The royal law shapes it into something that is much better. All right, so let's go back and let's draw some conclusions here. Because when we spoke of the misshape of judgment from verse 4, the partiality says something to our lives, but also the royal law has something to say as well. And I've written some things here. Hopefully they're helpful. You see, see, partiality says when it comes to our, our judging of others that I'm going to judge you by what I see. But the royal law, when we allow it to affect our hearts, it says something deeper. I'm going to love you how I would want to be loved. And that's harder, by the way. It's going to take a deeper investment. 
In our culture where everything is so quick and sound bites, and I'll spend 10 minutes here and five minutes here, I'm rushing around, I'm on a Zoom call. We live in a world where we are basically just small, different slices to people. But what does it look like to actually go to a royal law kind of loving of others where we're now going to ask deeper questions? How am I going to love? How do I want to be loved? All right, in in verse 5, we had talked about the misshape of, of the gospel. You see, partiality says this. Partiality says, I'm going to treat you by the world's standards. What can I get from you? I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, we'll move forward. It's going to be a great relationship. See, the royal law says something different. I'm going to treat you as Christ has treated me. Paradox. We're all sinners saved by grace. That's paradox. And because of us in the paradox of the gospel, we are now going to love others that way. I'm going to spend time with people when we don't feel like we have the time. We're going to extend gifts to people. We're going to extend energy to people. We're going to extend ourselves so that when people interact with us, it's going to be jarring because they're expecting us to be treating others according to the world standards, but we're not. We're going to treat others as we have been treated by Christ In verse, next one we talked about, it was wisdom in verse 6. See, again, partiality says, I'm going to see you for what I can get from you. That's the only reason when I fall prey to partiality, I am thin slicing mainly because I need to get something from you and I want to advance myself. See, the royal law says, I'm going to see you as an image bearer of God. You're different. You're unique. Yeah, you have all these exterior things. I've I've, I've moved way past that. And I'm going to spend time with you to get to know who you really are. Are we going to be a church that's just about receiving the face or about delving into the hearts of each other? And those who walk into this space, that is the question. I know what we all want. I know what we all desire. We're tired of a thin-sliced world. Will we be the kinds of people who will live out the gospel, the royal law, in our own church? taking time to get to know those who you sit next to in your sections when you come on Sundays. I mean, statistically, I think 90% of the people sit in the same spot every Sunday. How can we get to know people? How can we look at others past the things of the exterior to go deeper? How can we maybe even stay for another hour on a Sunday morning to invest and to get to know others? All of these things of of question that have us go to deeper places. May the Lord speak to all of us and challenge us in what he wants us to hear. But here's what I know. You can't hold 
impartiality and the gospel of Jesus Christ together. It's impossible. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. And again, it challenges us to deeper things. And the first thing I want to say is that I'm sorry. I, I need to be forgiven because there's many times I am thinly slicing people and making judgments. I want to have a heart that's not racing off into things of being misshaped, but I pray for my own heart that you would shape it into something that is honorable and something that is Christ-like. I pray that for our church as well, that we become the kind of people, we become a place where we don't just look at faces, but we look at hearts and we invest and we do the difficult and hard work of delving into messy lives because we want to proclaim the gospel. Thank you for how you have challenged all of us, and may we again have ears to hear the things you have wanted us to hear again. And maybe even this afternoon to take action. Maybe after church, maybe a phone call, whatever it might be, I pray you lay on our hearts ways that you want us to take action from your word this morning. We give you thanks in all of it. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.